Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Ink Heist. I'm Laurel Hightower, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Shane Douglas Keene and Rich Duncan. And tonight we are joined by Sonora Taylor, the author of uh, Little Paranoias Without Condition, The Crow's Gift and Other Tales, Please Give, and Wither and Other Stories, and also out this year uh, was Seeing Things. Um, so Sonora, we're, we're really thrilled to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, it's nighttime here, so I'm just, you know, chilling after after hanging out at home all day. So <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a pretty pretty good Saturday, I think. Yeah. Well, we usually do kind of a uh, a new kid at school kind of you know introduction uh, with our guests. So if you want to just uh, let everybody know what you do and what you're about. Yeah, so um, I write horror and dark fiction. I go between novels and short stories, just depending on the mood I'm in. I've been writing seriously for uh, almost five years, although, you know, I've been writing off and on since I was young. But, you know, I really got going on it in about 2016 uh, when I started writing some short stories. And um, I put together a collection called The Crow's Gift and Other Tales and put that out. Um and since then, I've written three novels and three short story collections. So right now, I'm working on my next short story collection. And I have an idea for the fourth novel, but I'm not going to work on that until after the collection. So that's just kind of how I work in writing. I switch between the two, I think, just because after spending a lot of time writing one form, it's nice to get into the other one. Like after doing a bunch of bang, bang short stories, it's nice to just relax with a novel. But then after writing a big, long novel and spending a ton of time in one world, it's nice to just go back to the short fiction. I think that's a great way to do that. Yeah, and just to get the get the fanboying started, um, I read Seeing Things this year, and it blew my fucking mind. That's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. So, well, thank you. That's yeah, just uh, the beginning of the fanboying. Yeah. Here, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much. That that means a lot. Um, yeah, that was actually one I. I mean, I'm like this with pretty much everything I put out, but I wasn't really sure what the reception would be like, especially compared to uh, both Without Condition and Little Paranoias, because those were the two that uh, started to really get noticed by the horror community. Um, and so and so, yeah, that, that, that means a lot, Shane. I, I am in full agreement. I think I was the one that went and squealed to him about it and told him to go read it because, uh, yeah, that was um, – I, I just I and I have I had read Little Paranoias before that and really, really enjoyed that short story collection. Um, and yeah, so when I picked up seeing things, I mean, of course, I absolutely love ghosts. And um, I think I told you at the time it was just something that was just like so just easy and enjoyable to read. Lots of nice creep factor to it um, and and good, you know, characterization and sort of coming of age stuff going on. Um, I think I had heard you say before that this was something that you had worked on before and set aside. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I'd originally started writing it. I think I may have started it in either 2016 or early 2017, but it was originally a short story. Uh, and it was just based around the idea of a girl who could see the dead, but none of them wanted to talk to her. 
Um, and so I started writing that, but where I would get stuck was like the why of it all. Cause you know, once you get past kind of the first, like, oh, that's funny. You know, they can't, they, they, she sees them, but none of them actually want to talk to her. Uh, but I'm trying to think, well, then what the hell can I actually do with this? And, you know, originally it was going to be more like a story about grieving and the ripple effect that can cause and, and, um, you know, she was going to, like, have a confidant that she met in the park. But, you know, then I, you know, set it aside and I started writing some other stories. And then I just revisited this one. And what helped click it into place was keeping it with the girl. But instead, like, it all just kind of stayed in her family. Like, you know, the confidant was replaced with her uncle. And then that, you know, the story just kind of took off from there, like, had a bit more of the mystery added and it was definitely a mystery that like I you know without spoiling anything I kind of knew the answer to but I had to uncover it as I was writing it and I actually like kind of changed what the answer was a bit as I was writing it um but then like it it's kind of funny how sometimes when I get an idea for a novel I always get like an idea for the ending and I usually change the ending um sometime in the middle of it but then I kind of go back to what it was before and it's just a better version of what I had before so and that's what happened with this one so well that's awesome that's that is a a lot of really great kind of insight on your process there yeah I mean you know it can be I mean this was also the first novel I wrote in chronological order so I think that kind of helped it unfold as well because so I could like because even though I knew enough of what the answer was to guide Abby the main character in the story I didn't know enough to like just write it like an outline form and you know it was the same mm-hmm. thing with without condition like I you know I knew how it was going to end for Kara but it was just a question of how to get there but that one I did not write in chronological order there were a few chapters I wrote out of order but I think that was a good thing to do just to kind of know some of their motivations so yeah yeah absolutely and uh that's what I was going to ask you is you said this was the first one you wrote in chronological order so with like your previous ones was it just kind of you jumping around between different chapters or did you always kind of like start with like an ending and then kind of like reverse engineer it? Well, with please give, which is the most different of all of my stuff. Cause that one's just a straight up, like, like office dramedy. Um, that one, I actually wrote like chapter four first, <laughs> but that was also, I put that more to both my inexperienced writing. So I was just kind of writing to write at that point, And then it just sort of became a novel, but also like just kind of my scattershot way of thinking, like at the time, you know, like just very, you know, kind of going to write, going to write and then piece it together like a puzzle. But yeah, without condition, I actually did write the first chapter first. And then I, I started writing the second chapter but then I kind of jumped ahead to where she meets Jackson and and was writing those chapters before I got to like writing her backstory and then writing the ending. But um, yeah, there were definitely a few chapters I just wrote. A lot of times with that, I just wrote what I felt like working on at that point. Like even if it meant writing it out of order, because that was the scene that was like, 
telling me it needed to be written. So I would sit down and write that as opposed to making myself work in order. But then with seeing things, it just seemed to like organically come that I would work in order because even when I knew about what scenes I wanted to get to, like there were like a few key scenes in there I had in my head before I even wrote the first chapter, but I couldn't get to them by jumping ahead. Like it just didn't feel right to write it that way. And I think it's just because this one more than without condition was a mystery. So, you know, I had to like get everything in order before I could sit down and write the emotions that were happening in those, in those key chapters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mystery but it's also a horrifying book too i mean mm -hmm. it's there are parts of that book that just absolutely terrified me you know oh yeah well, like which ones if you don't mind me asking um the locker yes okay. yeah <laughs> and that's all i'm gonna say about that but yeah that scared the fuck not out to, of me not to laugh at you being terrified but like <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, and, and that was definitely like I'm just I, I just kind of rolled with it on that one. I'm like, OK, how can I make this scary? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I guess it worked. It yeah. did. For me, um, it was just uh, so original. And I mean, mm -hmm. and, and as someone who had a lot of fucking troubles in school, grade school and middle school, um, that I just really related to the horror of the whole scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And if, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry go, ahead, go ahead. I was actually just going to tell Shane that if you have not gotten to Sonora's story in the cemetery goes places, uh, cemetery gates of places we fear to tread. That's another, um, that's another really good creepy one set in a school. I like that one really well. I have that book sitting right here. I need to get back to it actually. And that is actually based on my old elementary school. <laughs> so it's like a real school. It's still it's still um, running as a school. Um, so even though the ghost story is like an actual ghost story, I did take creative liberties with how it was realized. So I don't want people to think there was like a terrifying thing that happened. And, <laughs> like what the hell school did you go to? <laughs> well, it's it, so if for anyone who hasn't read the story yet, it's, it's set at Balls Bluff elementary school in Leesburg, Virginia, and it's named after Balls Bluff battlefield park. Uh, which was where they fought the Battle of Balls Bluff in the Civil War. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of ghost stories about, like, dead soldiers. And, um, you know, it, you like, you would go walking in the woods and, and you could find old bullets and stuff and the, and the pathways around there. Um, but, yeah, it's still there. The, the school is still there. Uh, Balls Bluff Park is obviously protected by the government. So, you know, they haven't, like, developed that over yet, even though so many parts of Leesburg have just been, like, <laughs> completely built up. It's a very quickly growing town. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you uh, you kind of mentioned that. I, I was wondering if, like, ghost stories, you know, you said you grew up there in Virginia and stuff, and there's a lot of you know, civil war battles, if like ghost stories were kind of always like a constant uh, tradition. Cause I've, I've visited there a few times Oh, you have? and oh. yeah, yeah. Um, 
uh, when I mostly when I was younger and in school, uh, my stepdad, he was a big Civil War buff. So we visited a lot of the sites there. And like for me, you know, growing up, like I was always kind of into like spooky stories. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they would kind of sprinkle some of that in there. And then we had picked up like a couple of books, you know, based on, you know, some of the more popular ghost stories from that area. So I was wondering if that was something that was, you know, constant for you growing up or like kind of like a uh, very present thing um kind of like it, it wasn't really the campfire tales like that and it definitely wasn't something that kids shared amongst them amongst themselves um mm-hmm. like the the story that i that i was inspired by for laughter in the night that was based on a story my fifth grade teacher told us he he did say that supposedly when you stayed in the school at night you could hear women laughing because women Women would sit and have picnics and watch the Civil War because um, I guess that's what you did for fun back then. Um, but you know, and so and so that was that was based on like you know a ghost story I heard in school. But that was one that our teacher was telling us. Um, and then most of the like what at least what I experienced in terms of ghosts being in the area. Uh, were the ghost tours. Uh, Leesburg does do a ghost tour, and especially in October, it's actually a pretty good one, especially when you're in the, um, uh, what's it, like the historic downtown area where there's a lot of the old, like, Revolutionary War era homes, Civil War era homes. Uh, It's very close to a graveyard. Um, So you're going to have a lot of stories and and legends surrounding that. And I do know that... um, Another another really good author, his name is uh, Rob Blackwell. He writes stories that are set in Leesburg and Loudoun County, and they have like ghosts and legends in them. So that's that's pretty cool to read because I don't see Leesburg, Virginia, very often in film yeah. or, or in stories, and so um, and so it's cool to read something set there because I know where everything is. Yeah. But that's cool that you went to Leesburg. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I have I have affection for Leesburg, but it, it still catches me off guard that people go and visit it because it's not <laughs> yeah. really like, a, you know, a, a, a popular place, although now it's a bit more popular because of the breweries that are opening there. <laughs> yeah, beer makes everything better. Yeah. <laughs> especially leesburg <laughs> now i'm gonna if anyone from leesburg is listening i lived there for 10 years i'm allowed to make jokes <laughs> um yeah you're good anyway i mean if todd keesling got away with destroying an entire town <laughs> yeah. look, it's corbin they don't read <laughs> yeah There's no way any of those people know he wrote a book <laughs> I mean, the, a good way a good way to to mention Leesburg is that uh, and why I have like kind of the like I won't say love hate because it's not a hate thing. It's more like a really like a love slash really thing with with the town is that I mentioned in Laughter in the Night, the Civil War reenactments, and they at least did those when I was living there in the 1990s. So that that is a thing that is done at Idley Park. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's usually pretty boring, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah the, fact that, the fact that they still do them, it's like, uh, why? <laughs> like, 
let's maybe try and put this behind us, maybe. I don't yeah, know. it's like, you know, let's... <laughs> Yeah, that's. I always had trouble with. I went to one and it bored me to tears. Mm-hmm. Plus, it just really seemed like it was glorifying a really horrible moment in our history too. Pretty and I, much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you you mentioned breweries. I forgot to ask you. What are you drinking beer tonight or something else? I'm I'm not. I'm actually drinking. Um, it's a recipe from a cocktail book I've become kind of obsessed with by David Leibovitz called Drinking French. And it's all these really good, like, mixed drinks, but they're the kind of mixed drinks I like where you're mixing liquor with other liquors as opposed to, like, (laughs) cutting it with soda or fruit juice. But this one is called a French Manhattan, and it's cognac, sweet vermouth, a little bit of orange liqueur, and orange bitters with a maraschino cherry. Nice. Yeah, so a little fancy, but it's it's very good. It's a nice sweet drink. Yeah, I've never had a. I don't think I've ever had a Manhattan with cognac before. I guess that's probably why they, where they get the French from, huh? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he says in the description, it's actually a, a, a cute description because he was saying that, you know, the relationship between France and America is very much like a family uh, thing where, you know, you like some things and dislike others. And um, when he asked about when he asked a person from France what he thought about it, he summed it up as like at the end of the day, friend, the French and Americans both like each other a lot. But at the end of the day, they like their culture the be- the better way. <laughs> like they, they think theirs is better so and that's kind of what it came down to with the manhattan where he where david leibovitz was saying you know americans you know might prefer the regular manhattan but give this one a try and see if your allegiance changes and my allegiance has not changed i just like both <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's something to be said for a good old-fashioned manhattan with a lot of whiskey in it mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell, there's something to be said for a good old fashioned. That, yeah. <laughs> there's something to be said for a good whiskey glass just filled with good whiskey, too. <laughs> That's what my husband's having right now. He definitely had one of those moments where he poured it and he's like, huh, like, I think I'm, I made this a few more fingers than I was intending. <laughs> so he's just been nursing it for the past couple of hours. He's better at me than at nursing his drinks. See, I would have poured too much, and I would have just been like, I'm having fun tonight. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I always say, oh, I accidentally poured too much. Whoops. <laughs> and then I accidentally poured too much several times throughout the evening. <laughs> <laughs> and then I accidentally emptied the bottle. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you get us started talking about booze, we can talk about it all. Fuck it. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to ask you, too, some about, like, uh, Fright Girl Summer, which is super cool that that is, that you guys are, are you know, continuing that on through the seasons, I'm assuming we're going to definitely take ourselves through next summer, yes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Violet and I have also talked about uh, ways to do spring. So, um, but that'll come up next. Right now, we're mostly focused on um, putting up a few Christmas-themed stories. And even though our logo, which was designed by Cassie Daly, um, is Krampus-themed, we will, like, keep up the Fright Girl winter theme through February, at least, 
Um, so, you know, we'll probably have some interviews. We're going to try and commission some essays and more short fiction. And, and we also have the reading list up, which we update as people send us book ideas. Um, and yeah, it's been great keeping that going. It's, it's a lot of fun to run with Violet and yeah, we're just glad to be able to have, have this, uh, space on there that's, you know, really making it a point to, um, um, promote marginalized voices and and just you know keep the reading love going keep like the fiction love going just being another space for all of this I love that and and as I just read I mean it's been so cool like all the different stories that have been featured you know throughout the throughout the year and um getting as you say you know the to the lift for marginalized voices which is hugely important and especially you know right now Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and as, I mean, like, I, so I just like read Tiffany's story and that was just fantastic. I just love it. It's such yes. a great outlet for everything. Yes. No, that story was amazing. I mean, I love her writing. Uh, Tiffany and I actually first met because we were both in quote, the Raven, which was the contemporary Poe anthology, which was actually my first acceptance. And that was where hearts or dislikes first appeared. But then we became friends in the Facebook group. And so we've just been kind of, we've been hanging out ever since she and I actually zoom once a month. Now we started doing that in the pandemic. And, um, and then, yeah, no, I love reading her work. And that was just such a great story. I did not see that ending coming. So, <laughs> so if y'all are listening, go to frightgirlsummer.com slash fiction and look for The Gift by Tiffany Michelle Brown. Um, but there's also a bunch of other great stories on there, too. Like we posted, um, I think it's called A Christmas Kingdom by M. Lopez de Silva. And that one was a lot of fun, too. Oh, awesome. I need to go back and catch that. Yeah, and I need to read her novella Hooker. I might read that next. Right now I'm re- reading Ring Shout, which is really good. Um, oh, yeah, that looks good. I've heard good things about that. I it's fantastic. Seen. Like, I, I'm, I'm just like, it's very hard to put down. <laughs> I, I made myself stop at a good stopping point. So I'd be like, okay, I got to record. <laughs> I got to go here. And- <laughs> yeah, and uh, just, just, I don't know if you know, because, I didn't. Um, I heard a lot about Ring Shout and Pick that up, but there's also a prequel story for anyone listening to who wants to check it out on uh, Nightmare Magazine Ooh. on their website. Yeah. And is that available like for free or uh, do yeah. I need to? Yeah, the last time I checked it was. Oh, so I think if you check that out. Yeah, I'll. Uh... I forget the name of the story, but I think if you just uh, search his name and then Nightmare, I think it comes up and it's free. Mm-hmm. There you just try to say it, Rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and I'll say this, especially because um, I, I um, we, there's been a lot of chatter about this, but this is a story where a man writes women characters really well. Like, I'm reading it and it doesn't feel like, I'm reading women written by men. It it just is a good story, but like featuring the women and he does a really good job with that. Oh, nice. That's good to know. So in case there were any hesitations, uh, <laughs> like I, I, I can say it's very well, and uh, for uh, it's, it's very well done with a man writing women. So he's not going to end up on uh, SH Cooper's list then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost sad that I will never have a reason to end up on that list. I don't know why. <laughs> you could just make it happen. But... The, the notoriety. 
Yeah, I could just <laughs> it's in the universe now. Um, <laughs> S.H. Cooper should do an anthology where where we all write men. Look, you know, oh, like how she's yes. always yes. doing the, the the tweets that are really funny. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, like it should just be an anthology where you invite people to write stories like that. <laughs> yes. That would yeah. be awesome. Um, I get such a kick out of those things. <laughs> she's uh, she's funnier than shit. Yeah, no, she's so funny. I always crack up when I read her tweets. Damn, I was going to ask you something, and my brain took a break. <laughs> it titted well, boobily down the stairs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the cognac's kicking it. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it will return. Um so in the meantime, I just want to ask how Sweet Pea doing tonight. She's good. She's actually, um, I'm up in my room and she's sleeping under the bed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if she could Sweet Pea updates. If she could bark on command, I would have her say something. But she, <laughs> she's actually a pretty quiet dog, which is good since we live in a condo. But there are times when I'm like, oh, speak. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, we, we have a dog that, um speaks on command but the problem is is the it's when the command is no bark oh <laughs> that sounds like my first dog i used to have a jack russell terrier named spiffy and um he had a high-pitched whiny bark that he had to do it at least 20 times in a row once he got started <laughs> it's like a it's like a one of those uh wind-up toys you're just sitting there or alarm yeah. clocks rather you have to wait for that fucker to wind all the way down to shut up. Yeah, whereas, like, it's so funny. Sweet Pea is, like, the polar opposite. Like, you know, she's excited when it's time to go for a walk, but it just comes in the form of wagging her tail. Like, she will stand perfectly still while I put on her leash. She waits patiently while Will and I get on our coats and our shoes and stuff. Spiffy would have been, like, barking and jumping all over our legs and, like, you know, making it impossible to, like, leash him up. And then he, and it's so funny, and, uh, like, he, used, you know, like I mentioned, had the high-pitched Jack Russell Terrier bark. Sweet Pea, like, you look at her. She's tiny. You know, she's, like, cute looking. You do not expect what we call the smoker's bark that comes out of her. <laughs> like, like, when she barks, she kind of has to live up to it. And then she goes, like, bark. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons I wish she could bark on command because you kind of can't believe it when it comes out of her. Like it's, we, we call her Elaine Stritch. Like that's what she sounds like as a dog. <laughs> she's so funny. Now we, we love her to death. We adopted her in August and she's just been a, a joy. And is she, is she part corgi? Hmm? Is she part corgi? Yes. She's yeah. um, a corgi and a beagle. Mm. you were talking about her barking on command i had a corgi shepherd mix for a long time my first dog that i had as an adult her name was isis and she would bark on command she used to howl um and we caught her 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 nickname was affectionately the pig um because she (laughs) she snorted and she was you know uh yes she yeah she was she was my little pig and if you put your fist in the air and said power to the pig she would howl it was like oh the best God, that's ever. I love that. 
You know, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Sweepy does snort a lot. Like, she's a big grunter, um, especially when she's mad at us. Like, you know, like, if if I like him, if I'm, like, saying, come on, Sweepy, let's go, and she'll go, like, and I'll be like, yeah, you can talk back to me all you want. You still got to get going. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Our, uh. Little we had, we had a little Chinese crested who was a grunter and that's what we called him Piglet. Oh, yeah. wasn't his name, but it's what we called him because he'd walk around the house. And, uh, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that, like, the name for the dog is strictly a formality for the license because they go by, like, any other right. name. <laughs> Except, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll call her Sweet Pea because that's so fun to say, but we'll still call her, like, Sweet Girl, Girl, Honey. My favorite is calling her the Sweetest of Peas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dogs are easy that way. You mm-hmm. know, cat, cats, you can call them by their name and they don't give a shit. But. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're like what? Yep. <laughs> Do I look like a dog to you? <laughs> Although I will say, black cats act very much like dogs sometimes because they're so affectionate. Like there is a black cat named Patrick that used to wander around in my old neighborhood, and when he'd see me walking up the sidewalk, he'd not only run to me, but he would jump up on my calf so I would pet him. <laughs> he, he was really cute like if 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 um i weren't allergic to cats and if it weren't like so hard for me to like keep cats from jumping on everything because if you saw our home it is not cat friendly there's so many like tchotchkes on shelves and stuff <laughs> yeah like they it, it would be broken <laughs> yeah. cat yeah. heaven <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I always thought of myself as a dog person, but it's funny you say that. Like, I had one cat, even though I was allergic to, um, and I I used to have to get like allergy shots. But I really wanted a cat when I was younger, and this is the only cat I know that does this. And it was kind of weird, but I think like the vet said it's because like they're attached to you. But like I would sit on the couch. And sometimes she would be behind me and I'd be like, what the hell is that? She would just start like licking my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, she's probably grooming you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what the vet said. And it, it, it definitely creeped me out. Like, well, especially because like, well, cat's tongues are so weird. Like they have those little <laughs> spiky things to help them groom. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like when a dog gives you a smooch. It's like all of a oh. sudden you've got this <laughs> yeah. like like brush (laughs) yeah no my my um my brother's old cat like she was very affectionate and she was giving me kisses one time on my palm and i'm like this is the weirdest fucking thing i've ever (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah though that's it is a weird though it's like like having a fucking tarantula walk across your hand. <laughs> I'm not sure that actually, I don't know, but I've, I've actually dealt with tarantulas at the pet store. So I don't know. I have to, uh, well, my friend Alan had one. It, it freaked me out crawling up my hairy arm. That thing just, 
It they was probably <laughs> men. And I mean, no, no disrespect to tarantula owners. I'm just like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't no. think I can do that. Although I will, like, I am the person who, like, if I see a spider in the house, as long as they're not, like, in the bed, I'll just leave them alone. Like, I, I, I like to keep them around because they keep other bugs out. Yeah. Yeah, I do, too. Unless it's springtime, summertime, then I take them out and put them in my plants. Yeah. I mean, most of the time when I see them, they're just, like, on a faraway wall and getting ready to, like, crawl into a corner or something. So, I, you know, I don't really want to bother. Like, I'm just, and they're, and they're small. I mean, you yeah. know, I live in northern Virginia. It's not like we have gigantic spiders. Right. And um, I think, like, the most dangerous ones that would live around here might be a brown recluse. And even then, they're not going to be on a, in a second floor condo unit. Like, they're, you know, they're going to be out in the fields or something. Yeah, or under houses thing. Yeah, like. yeah, they they might be like in in the foundation or in the basement or something. Oh yeah, that reminds me actually. When I was living in Leesburg, we, we funny story. We had a basement, and that's where we kept my Nintendo. Right. So um we I you know anyone who's had an NES knows that you basically had to do like a satanic ritual to get the game to work. <laughs> so <laughs> so I was used to um you know having to like blow on both the cartridge and the inside of the game to get it to work, but one time I was trying that and it wasn't working. And I emphasized that we had the NES in the basement. So I open up the the thing, take the cartridge out, I lean forward to blow on the inside of the gaming console, and all of a sudden this cricket jumped out of the <laughs> NES because they were all over the place in our basement, just those black and brown crickets. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and then, you know, like jumping back. So it was like a literal bug in the system. <laughs> <laughs> we get uh, from dogs like crickets in my Nintendo. <laughs> I have no it's funny you said that about like the ritual of getting those games like i wonder what like actually blowing in the cartridge used to do because i remember that too <laughs> was it like maybe to get dust out like exactly. that's the only thing i can think of <laughs> yeah i guess so i'm old enough to have had games that you actually that was actually an issue um and that's yeah. exactly why you blow in them to get the dust out or you know the weed fragments or whatever <laughs> I, I and it got to the point with my nes where i had to like put the cartridge in like at a different angle or like i had to keep it pressed down and put another cartridge on top of it to like keep it down in the game so it would play um <laughs> although you know i had it for a very long time I, I didn't get rid of mine until we moved a couple years ago and that's just because it stopped working but we had it for like a good 30 years before it stopped working man that's that is that's a good long time that's a good yeah. investment yeah well yeah. i mean it was my dad's and then i was playing it more as a kid and so he let me take it with me when I moved out of the house. And, you know, I would pretty much just play Mario and Zelda, but, you know, <laughs> then it just stopped working. So Mario and Zelda are uh, probably my two favorite video games. So they're the best. Like, I, 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 <laughs> I remember how gratified I felt when I beat Adventure of Link that one time. <laughs> and I emphasized that one time because that game is fucking impossible. Yeah, I is. needed I needed an Internet walkthrough to beat it. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it feels 
it feels uh, kind of kind of uh, embarrassing to be outdone by that little green bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he looks so harmless. <laughs> yeah. um, and I remember one time um, in college, a guy I had a crush on that I was friends with met, lent me his N64 so I could play Ocarina of Time. Oh, uh, I didn't um, even I didn't even finish that one. I'm like, this is too complicated. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. was. <laughs> I got stuck in the water temple, and then that I gave up after that. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> I am just realizing I don't think I ever beat a video game. But in large part, it's because I just smashed the buttons all the time. I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> I would just smack them until something happened or didn't. <laughs> I, re- I remember the most disappointing one was my brother Matt and I once spent an entire summer afternoon beating Rampage. Like, we were playing the original NES Rampage. <laughs> I think I was the lizard and he was the gorilla. And we and for anyone who doesn't know, Rampage is a, where you're two monsters destroying different cities in the United States. And you get points by, like, eating humans and taking money from the buildings and stuff like that. So you destroy each city and then you, as such, destroy states. And so you have to, like, black out the entire map of the u.s so we spent like all afternoon doing this because we just wanted to beat the game we finally beat the game and we're like ready and then all it did was just say congratulations and then (laughs) right (laughs) we were so mad (laughs) it's like what are you talking about where's my money (laughs) (laughs) or like it some fanfare like at least yeah. you know at the end of legend of zelda like link and zelda hold up the triforce and there's like music and you know you get the end credits and stuff and Mega Man 2 has like an existential ending where it's like he he seriously like looks up in the sky like what is my purpose and then he disappears and his helmet falls onto the grass. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of of poignant, really. Yeah, Yeah, really. It it was kind of sad and touching, but at least it was like a real ending. It wasn't just congratulations and then start over. I'm like, wow, we just wasted our whole afternoon doing this. (laughs) (laughs) That was like. Diablo, the first time I beat Diablo, I was so pissed because it didn't say jack shit. Just it just con- started just, over? Just congratulations and switched me to hard mode. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You, you do know about the Zelda cheat, right, to get immediately to hard mode? No, I don't. All right, so if anyone has an NES and they have The Legend of Zelda... That, you know, in the beginning, when you type in your name for the game to save, if you type in Zelda, you'll immediately go into Hard World. Oh. Yeah. Did not That's know that. Pretty, yeah, that I've always liked those kind of, like, hidden things with, like, the yeah. uh, older games, like those older cheat codes before they came out with, like, those, uh, like, Game Sharks, I think, yeah. were, like, the big things. Yeah. Um, or like the magazines, or then when they were actually things that were fun and they weren't stuff like hot coffee mod. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> my my big uh, my big video game thing, and I don't know if you have a story like this, um, but like the video game that pissed me off the most was uh, the Sega Genesis Battletoads game. There was this that. one level. There's this one level with, like, these flying motorcycles. It's, like, 
notoriously like one of the hardest game levels and man elementary school age me has said so many curse words because of that level (laughs) (laughs) oh man um i so i never had a sega genesis like one of the reasons i only ever had an nes growing up is because um so you know typical fashion i had an nes and my best friend melissa used to come over and play with play it with me she didn't have a video game system but then for Christmas one year, she gets Super Nintendo, right? Because that's the new mm-hmm. one that came out. And I say to mom, can I get like a Super Nintendo? And she says to me, no, because you know, honey, in like three years, they're going to come out with Super Duper yeah. Nintendo. And then, yeah. and then I'm just going to have yes. getting you a new system. And sure enough, they came out with the N64. But that was also one of the reasons. I, I say that to say I never had a Sega Genesis because my parents wouldn't upgrade my system. But in a way, you know, that was all right. I mean, I had the Game Boy. And then in college, they bought me a PlayStation 2 so I could play DDR. Um, but but I say that to say my equivalent to Battletoads on NES was I did own that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game where you yeah. have to, like, swim and undo the electrical wires. And oh. I actually could beat that level after a lot of pain. But then when you got to the world after that level, the game became nearly impossible to beat. Like, you would get stuck in, like, this one level because of a glitch and not be able to get out. Like, that one's always on the list of, like hardest video games because it's just yeah. like impossible <laughs> I, I agree but my, my daughter pissed me off because she beat it <laughs> I, i'm mad at your daughter now yeah. <laughs> i don't even know who she is <laughs> it's like yeah i got just to where you were just talking about and mm-hmm. then it uh you know was just un unplayable for me after that point yeah, no, there were so many games like that. I mean, the, the only games I ever beat were like Mario, the Dr. Mario, mm-hmm. and the, the the first two Legends of Zelda. Um, and like I said, though, even Adventure of Link that I had to do a walkthrough when I was like 19 years old to finally <laughs> beat it. Um, but yeah, there were some. I had Fester's Quest. That I love that one. I could not beat it to save my life. <laughs> Well, see my previous answer, I didn't try. So. <laughs> Carl's like, I just mashed the button. I'm too, I'm too competitive to not do that. I'll even try and beat DDR, even though the old nature is you don't beat it. Oh, yeah. It's like trying to beat Warcraft. Nope. <laughs> I actually, getting back to writing, but for a while I did have a story idea where you would, someone was playing like this version of DDR where they unlocked this like secret song called Demon's Revenge or something and then you know how on DDR when they want you to stay on the arrows they do like the moving light up path and you have to stay on the arrows until that light up path ends does that make sense yeah I'm only vaguely familiar with that game but I kind of know you're talking about but that story idea sounds cool as hell (laughs) Yeah, well, because basically what I was going to say is that when that light arrow is going up and you're standing there, it's like that's when it starts sucking out your soul, but you can't, like, move off of it if you want to beat the song. <laughs> that sounds cool, actually. Maybe, maybe I'll write that one out, but yeah, that was what 21-year-old me was thinking about writing when, when I was playing Dance Dance Revolution. Uh, I realized I was saying DDR over and over again without saying what it is. It's, it's for people who don't know, it's Dance Dance Revolution where you dance according to the arrows and you 
you know, you get like, perfect, way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked at that game. I I have tried it like in the arcades and I'm so rhythmically challenged that yeah, it did not go well for me. <laughs> Remember when like, it, it, like that game like saved arcades for a little while because people were you know, yeah. just playing at home. And, and, but then that one was one that not only could you, well, you could get that one at home, but people enjoyed playing that one in the arcades. And I remember yeah. seeing people like lined up and like reserving their spot with quarters and just watching people dance. And that game was really big when I was in college. So I remember like, I actually, I actually played TDR with a guy I was dating in my dorm. Like he, he had the pad and the PlayStation. So we would play together in the dorm basement. Yeah, that, that, um, I remember when that came out too. And like you said, yeah, it was, it was very popular. I always, I tried it, I think once or twice. And then, like I said, I was just like, I don't <laughs> think I have the skills for this game. It does take practice. Well, I'm thinking about it now, and I don't think I have the knees for that game at this point. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I wanted to ask you, too, because you you have another recent release. Um, You have the, is it, and it's called Tis Better to Want. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, that one is just a standalone short story that I decided to release for the Christmas season. Um, I am going to include it in my next short story collection, which right now it's called uh, Someone to Share My Nightmares. And it's going to be primarily romantic horror. Uh, You know, there may be some stories in there that don't quite fit that bill, but most of the stories will be exploring relationships, exploring romantic love, maybe a little bit of platonic or familial love. Um, But uh, Tis Better to Want is strictly sex. And uh, even though there is like an understanding between the two, but yeah, that's an erotic story about a woman and the Krampus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I actually got the idea for it when there was a call for stories for an anthology called the devil, you know, um, but, um, you know, I don't think they were really looking for erotica, but, you know, I'm like, you know, someone's going to run and read this. And actually, sure enough, when I would just talk about like semi cheekily on Twitter, like, oh, I'm writing my sexy Krampus story. Like a lot of people seem to be really into it. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was thinking about that and then thinking about how the next short story collection, you know, won't be out until probably next October. Um, I'm like, you know what, it might be fun to just put this together and put it out as a standalone short story and have people read it for Christmas. And yeah, I mean, people seem to be enjoying it. You know, I had a lot of fun writing it. So oh, that's awesome. That's it's kind of one of those things that like I hadn't really thought, you know, a whole lot about um, until we talked to Violet Castro a while back, you know, and she she writes some some kind of horror erotica mm-hmm. and she was talking, you know, about just the empowerment of it, you know, the female empowerment yes. of it. And it's, I don't know, I just, it's such a cool concept. Um, and I think, is she, was she still working on like an anthology for that? 
Well, I think she was. I, I'm not sure where that stands right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, she can answer to that better than me. But I know that was one of her uh, many projects that she had in mind. She, she, she always has so many great ideas for anthologies and curating bundles and stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed at how much she puts out. Yeah. yeah there's a lot going on there. But, uh, well, that's that's just cool. I, I really, I like. I don't know. I, I really like all the just the universe of stuff that that I'm finding just, you know, in all of this again, running back in my head to like two years ago when I thought it was like Stephen King, Dean Koontz and James Herbert. And I'm just mm-hmm. so yeah. fucking glad it's not. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also glad that, you know, even when it's not like erotica or dark romance, I mean, I you know, I'd like to see it normalized to have like good consensual sex and horror novels. I mean, not, you know, just dropped in for the sake of it being in there, but also like not being afraid to have that in there either, because, you know, so often in horror, like if, if there's any type of sexual relations, it's either uh, violence, like it's rape or, or something, or, um, or it's just like grotesque or, you know, not, not really like showing enjoyment or sexiness or lust or love. And, and, you know, those are emotions we all feel even when something horrible is happening. And so, you know, it'd be nice to like see that and just have it be there for what it is, as opposed to like, you know, a precursor to the girl getting murdered or like, you know, here's, here's just, you know, it can be, you can have good normal things like sex in there. I mean, we have things like people just eating ice cream or people playing with their friends or people watching television or going on dates. So if the content calls for it, why not just have like good consent, good consensual sex in it too? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I strongly agree because it's, well, and I, you know, I've said a lot, like, again, I don't feel like a romance has to be shoehorned into every novel everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I do, I like it. I love romance and, and love and sex are both, you know, great parts of being alive. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would like to see it normalized. It's, and it's kind of a, I mean, it was fairly normal when I was a kid to find that in a lot of, a lot of fiction, but just great once in a while in horror fiction, um, you know, a bit mm-hmm. and, my feeling is if you're going to write bad sex scenes, just say, and then they fell into each other's arms and move on to the next fucking scene. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, sometimes I'm disappointed when it fades to black, but at the same time, if, you know, I'd rather read a fade to black than read like those entries in the worst sex scenes of the year awards. (laughs) They canceled this year. Did you see that? What? They can't. They canceled those awards this year. Oh, boo! I bet we would have had some good ones. <laughs> I know, I know, but apparently some folks decided to take it upon themselves to just go ahead and write really horrible sex scenes. Oh, so. well, that's no fun. I mean, that, that's like when that's like when MST3K was really taking off, and the cast was saying that like um, people would volunteer to make bad movies for them to riff on, and it's like that's not really the point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No. Because, you know the movies on on Mystery Science Theater 3000. I mean, yes, they're awful, but even like the worst movies, you can tell that like someone was trying to make a movie, right? Like, even if yeah. it was bad. <laughs> like, yeah. And and that's what makes it 
you know, enjoyable is that there is an earnestness behind them. It's the same thing with The Room, which is like my favorite terrible movie. I mean, that movie is god awful, but there's also like a sincerity behind it that makes it appealing. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I don't think you should watch it without like audience participation for your first yeah. time. But it's also not safe to go to a theater right now, so maybe like <laughs> maybe maybe watch it with the riff tracks. So there you go. Maybe I'll suggest it for Todd Kiesling's next <laughs> movie night. I've seen that the movie. I saw it like at least 10 times in theaters because they would show it like once a month at midnight at E street cinema downtown. Um, it was so much fun. I went there like all the time in graduate school. I'm just going to have to look this up because every time yeah. someone says that about room, I keep thinking about that really dark, like, you know, Oh movie. yeah. I think that was just called room though. Wasn't it? Like the, yeah. The yeah. The one was, with, with Brie Larson. The one where she's like, tra- like, uh, yes. yeah. Okay. Okay. It's yeah. based on a book, which yeah. I've read the book, but I haven't seen the movie. Yes. No, that one's just room. There's no, the. Okay, good. Yeah. I probably don't need to be making those comparisons. It seems. <laughs> 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 well, room is, yeah, that's just so yeah. earnest. And actually speaking of, like we say, we'd rather have it fade to black than have a bad sex scene. That movie's a perfect example. Of, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that movie too is one of the, like, it's so notorious. I believe that movie, The Disaster Artist, was yes. like a movie about that movie. So it was like a movie about a movie. It is. The kind of legacy it has. And it's actually, The Disaster Artist was a book written by Greg Sestero, who co-starred in The Room. And it was about his experience, like both starring in that film, but also his friendship with Tommy Wiseau, who wrote and directed The Room. Um, and it's a really good book. I would highly recommend it. And the movie was good too. I mean, it's unfortunate because, you know, James Franco stars yeah. and he's, you know, like a, he's scum, but it is like a good movie. You know, his brother put on a great performance. Um, like it's, it's, but I, I would definitely recommend the book. The book is really well written. It's and it's especially if you're a movie geek like me, it's really you know fun reading about the history of that and just how they made everything. So. Yeah, that sounds like a good book. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to um, I'm, I was kind kind of to bring it back to uh, like the collection you had mentioned, someone mm-hmm. to show nightmares and stuff and like kind of romance and horror i'm so excited to read that when you put it out because i never really i never really had any experience with that sort of blend in terms of like fiction but from what i've seen of it in like cinema that always struck me as kind of a very interesting blend of genres like one of my favorite horror movies is a spring and it kind of has that balance of it Okay, I don't. I'm not familiar with that one. Who's in it? Oh, I forget the actors. I forget. Shane might know. I don't remember but. the actors. The directors are Benson and Moorhead. Yeah. And uh, Spring is just a fucking beautiful romance. Is yeah, it streaming? I, it's. I um, think so. Off and on, like I feel like yeah. I've seen it on 
Netflix and Prime like at times. I don't think it's like always on there though. Okay, I'll have to see if I can find that one. That sounds good. Yeah, I always thought that was just kind of an interesting blend of genres. So I'm kind of excited to, you know, kind of read the stories that you picked for your collection. Yeah, it's yeah. on it's on Hulu, Tubi TV, and Shutter right now. Oh, nice. That okay. Shutter. Cool. Sorry. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds good. Yeah, I was. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to follow up on that. But if, if you want to ask me your question. No, no, no. no. Yeah, go ahead and follow up. Oh, I was just going to say it is something I, I enjoy exploring, especially because I really like to get into obsessive mentalities. And, you know, a lot of times thinking about what you need to do for the person you love can lead to a lot of scary things, um, you know, mm-hmm. and especially like thinking about yourself in those terms and also just like what you are willing and not willing to overlook, you know, just kind of exploring those themes. Um, you know, it kind of started on that and without condition. Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of want to continue on that with this collection. Um, and just, yeah, look at it from different angles and, um, yeah, I have a few ideas for the stories. I, um, I, you know, I've got, at least two fully written right now. And then I want to work on the rest between now and June, because that's what I told Evelyn. I'd get her uh, the manuscript. She's my editor. Um, And I also did that to just kind of give myself a deadline. So I wouldn't keep putting it off. Uh, This year has been a little harder to sit down and write. Um, So I wanted to like give myself like, okay, Sonora, you're allowed to like have this breathing room, but you, you got to get a manuscript in. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's like pulling teeth to get me to get a manuscript done. <laughs> it's like, It'll yeah, happen. Yeah, it will. It will. Plus, um, again, you write poetry every day, so that totally yeah, counts. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I was going to ask, I think I found this back. Oh, um, when we were talking about your collections, it's every every one of your collections are the short stories all original to those collections? No. um, Just with The Crow's Gift and Wither um, and Little Paranoias, um, Hearts Are Just Likes that originally appeared in the quote, The Raven Anthology. And a lot of the flash pieces appeared on both Spreading the Writer's Word, uh, which was, which is a, a blog run by Nina Dark Angela. Uh, from Sirens Call Publishing, and uh, some of the short stories also appeared in The Sirens Call, which is a free e-zine that comes out seasonally now. Um, But some of them were original. A lot of the longer ones were original to the collection, such as Wary Bones, uh, Quadrapocalypse, Always in My Ear, and Seed. And a few of the short pieces were original to that collection as well. Um, And right now, I believe all of the stories I plan to include in Someone to Share My Nightmares will be original to the collection, unless you count the Krampus story being released on its own. Hmm. Well, yeah, I like that, though. I mean, because I read so prolifically that a lot of times if I buy a collection of an author's previously released work, I will have read like 70 percent of it. Mm hmm. Yeah, so when I love it when authors put out those collections that are all pretty much unique stories. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would even when I reprint things, I wouldn't want to like have it be mostly that. I would just maybe want like, you know, two or three longer stories, maybe a few shorter stories um, in there. But um, yeah, and and honestly, one of the main reasons there is because um, I do like to include some of my previously published stories just so they're in that one space and people can get it. But um, at least like with the stories I've published recently, uh, with the exception of the parrot, they don't really fit the theme. Um, so so th- that's also another reason where I'm kind of like, OK, I definitely have to like write, write more original things for this so it'll fit the theme. <laughs> I was wondering about that because that does always seem like, you know, I guess if you have somebody who's like outrageously prolific in short stories, like puts out a couple hundred a year, they could kind of like cultivate it and pick and choose to fit a particular theme. Mm-hmm. But, I, but mm-hmm. I always kind of wondered that, you know, like how, what, what you would do in that instance. So yeah, I really, I really like uh, that, just that method of doing things like choosing the theme and then writing the stories around it. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the stories that I'm, I'm I want to expand on for this one were ideas I've had um, swimming around in my head for a little while. Um, I may not write 200 stories, stories a year but I definitely get like a bunch of ideas per year um and so it's just kind of collecting those ideas into a tentative table of contents and then seeing which ones I actually write so how's the um I'm curious about the editing process on that too uh you so you you've worked with your editor Evelyn for quite some time is that right Yes, she's been my first and only editor with the exception of, of stories that are published uh, in anthologies or like through other publishers. If I'm putting it out myself, Evelyn has edited it. Um, so, yeah, she she's great. She, um, in addition to doing line edits, she also writes like a memo that gets a bit deeper into what she thinks about themes and how, um, you know, maybe something can be fine tuned or expanded on or she'll post some questions that, you know, I'm welcome to expand on in the story. Um, and she, she, you know, her edits always make it better. Um, like in Without Condition, for instance, she suggested that there needed to be another body count, another body added to the body count, um, <laughs> just to like kind of round everything out. And so as such, it not only helped me add another chapter, but also like reorder some stuff and have it make sense, better sense than it did in the first draft. Um, so she's really good at like just taking the heart of what you're writing and making it better. Um, so yeah, basically what it is, is, you know, she and I'll usually meet about once a month to chat about what I'm working on. But then once I get her the manuscript, she goes through it, she sends me the memo, she sends me the line edits, and then we meet to, um, discuss it. And then I get to editing it. Nice. Yeah. I just, that's, it seems like that would almost be another skill set to, to be able to edit a, a short story collection like that, because, I don't know. I, I guess it's, yeah, I was just kind of interested in that, but. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a similar process except that like her, it, like, you know, with the novels, obviously it's going to be one long memo about the novel, but then with short stories, um, you know, she'll just write something about each piece into a longer memo and then like put her comments in the document about what to change or what to add or what to fix. So Well, and um, so do you have, because, so you have, you've put out a lot of your stuff yourself, but then you also, you know, you have, you have 
gotten lots and lots and lots of publications um, through publishers for your short stories and things like that. Do you want to talk some about your different experiences there and any recommendations you have for folks? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend looking into both options. I will say um, self-publishing is not cheap. So if, if um, you know, sometimes it may sound harsh, but if you can't afford a good cover artist or an editor, you might want to look into publishing uh, like with an independent press or something, because those are like the two things that'll kill a self-published book is if the cover is bad and if the editing is, is really bad. I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, if, if you've just missed a typo here and there, I'm talking like every page, something is wrong or like, you know, it, it just, cause people are very harsh on, on self-published books for that, even though I've definitely read traditionally published books that have a lot of typos in them. Um, but because there's like kind of this, still this, stigma against like oh well, people put it out themselves it's you know it didn't go through a third party so it must not be as good like as such they're going to be harsher if like there's something wrong in the manuscript um but they'll be especially harsh if the cover isn't good and that's just honestly a big thing because look we all do it we all judge a book by its cover if something yep. looks like cheap and slapdash put together like someone designed it in paint with like the spray paint function and like clip art <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not going to want to read that unless unless you're like, wow, this is like, I mean, no, you know, on the one hand, um, that movie Birdemic has made a lot of money, even though it hasn't. But but also like, yeah, I mean, you you want it the best. I, I say that just to emphasize that like self-publishing is great, but just make sure you have the resources to make it look as indistinguishable from a, from a traditionally published book as possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, my experiences with, uh, with publishers, if they's all, they've always been very good. Like, I mean, the editing's been good. The editors have been kind and, and prompt and getting back to me. I mean, cemetery gates is so fast with their, with their response time and um, then their editing is good and they and they send the PDFs and you just go through it. And um, there's also like, I've worked with Camden park press on quote, the Raven, same thing. And Sirens Call Publications has always been really good. I usually try to submit a story to them whenever they have a call because uh, they're a great e-zine with lots of flash fiction in it. And, um, and yeah, working, of course, with Burial Day and you, Laurel, and Gemma on uh, We Are Wolves was a really great experience, you know, just with the notes and getting the story put together. I mean, yeah, it's it's just a, it's been a good experience on both ends. Um, yeah, just at the moment, I usually, I, when I'm putting together a full book, I like to self-publish it because I do have an editor I enjoy working with. I have a graphic designer I enjoy working with, cover artist, uh, that's Doug Puller. Um, and I mean, I've worked with other people before too. Like I worked with Cassie and Tiffany on the Krampus story, uh, but Evelyn also edited it. And, um, I like being able to control the production, I am a bit of a control freak. And so, you know, that's something that uh, where self-publishing serves well, because then like I can set my deadline, I can set my publication date, I can decide the marketing, I can reach out to reviewers, you know, stuff like that. And even though sometimes that's exhausting, I also do enjoy doing it genuinely. Like I like picking my title. I like 
you know, being involved in the cover design to the extent where like Doug will show me his sketches and then I'll be like, yeah, that looks great. You know, you know, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. whereas I believe with traditional publishing, although I don't pretend to have been involved with publishing an entire book that was just under my name, uh, you don't get quite that level of input, um, depending on the press. That's yeah. There's a, there's a lot of good advice in there. I was, I always like, you know, that because there's just so much, this, this is a conversation I've had with Michael Clark some and, and, you know, some other folks who, who are, you know, kind of veterans at it. And there's just, it goes back to what you said about the control, you know, like as the writer, you have control over, I mean, you can run a special, you know, you can say it's 99 cents for the next two weeks or, you know, whatever you need to, to really like stay on top of that kind of marketing and you're not at the mercy of anybody else. So But I do also think, you know, like like you said, there's there's just a lot to consider there as far as the editing and the cover and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I oh. mean, it's not as simple as here it is like and there's also a lot of marketing involved, like you've got to promote it like tenfold, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a lot there's a lot to be said for that. Um, the marketing is huge, you know, even even if you're looking at having somebody else publish your work for you, if you're in the indie market, plan on marketing yourself because they don't for the most part. Yeah. Well, and um, I've heard from some people who work in the bigger publishing houses, it's the same thing. Like, yeah. inle- unless you're someone like Stephen King, you're kind of expected to be your own marketing department, especially with social media being such a big deal now. Like they're like, well, if you already have a Twitter presence, then you can just market your own book. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, well, fuck it. If I have to like do everything myself already, I may as well like control the book too. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, huge, huge points you made there. Editors are hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the cover, like you said, sorry, but it's true. The first thing I look at is the fucking cover, even as an industry sort of pro, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It's like none of us want to say we do it, but we all do it. Like, yeah. I, I have bought books based solely on their cover. I bought... Um, the haunt, the haunting of the paranormal romance awards. I I strictly bought that for nice. The <laughs> <laughs> that was an yeah. amazing cover. The person who did that should get a raise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm specifically in love with the title. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because like like you said, um, you know, you hate to like admit that thing, but I feel like the amount of effort that goes into the cover kind of is you know whether you know art is subjective but in terms of like if it looks professional that's going to tell you if the stuff inside also looks professional right or an end it's a good indicator at at the very least Mm -hmm. i've seen some killer covers that were wrapped around a bunch of shit too (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely definitely not a guarantee but you know it's definitely like think like you if you're thinking about publishing a book think about when you're browsing through amazon and you see all these book covers like like what what's going to get your attention and then that's what you should try and make your book look like yeah Mm -hmm. i agree and i think 
honestly, if you're in the indie market, don't try to make your book look like a big five book. No. Um, those covers suck. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I just went and looked at the Haunting of the Paranormal Romance Awards, and yep, that would that would snooker me in. Right? <laughs> is, isn't that, I, mean, I, I actually, yeah, I need to bump that up on my reading list because it's over on my bookshelf. So I have with everything else. So I have to like. <laughs> Maybe I'll read that one after I read Hooker. <laughs> oh, I can't even stop. Yeah, by now with one click, I've got it. Dude, just for just for the the chance. <laughs> I, did I did buy today. I bought the Hall Dark <laughs> anthology, so I'm looking oh, forward nice. to reading that. I want to get that so bad. <laughs> I can't believe well, how fast that came out. That was insane. Right? Mm-hmm. That was one where I had to sadly admit to myself that I was not going to be able to write a story for it. And I just like, let that one go. <laughs> well, gosh, with all those submissions too, that's insane. Yeah. yeah. 700. Yeah. Um, screw that. I, I wouldn't go near that slush pile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you guys both, you and Laurel share several TOCs together too. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in um we are wolves and places we fear to tread. So Yeah. Um and I don't have We Are Wolves yet, it's on its way to me, but um I know that all of the stories in both of those books are nothing but pure solid gold because i know the people involved in both of them and you know it's just what it's just what they do if you're publishing people like sonora taylor and um andy cole and laurel hightower and folks like that then you know what the fuck you're doing (laughs) oh thank you thanks sonora is just like becoming the cemetery gates uh poster girl over there right is that your third is it your third one TOC with them? Yeah, I'm I'm in Campfire Macabre, and then I'm also going to be in the Quiet Horror one. Oh, nice! I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be that's going to be a good read. Yeah, I think so too, and not just not just because I have a story in it. I, I think it, I think it's going to be an, an interesting one. Um, and that was actually one of the main reasons I was a little heartbroken. I couldn't write something for Hall Dark. I couldn't like muster up the energy to finish a story for it. Uh, well, I shouldn't say muster up the energy because that makes it seem like I didn't care. It, it, but what I meant was that like it, it's just, it has been hard to write, and just like with Thanksgiving going on, and we were like canceling our plans because the pandemic was getting worse, and I was just trying to like juggle that and work I'm, and then we have this like two week deadline and I'm like because you know Sonora you just I don't think you can do this so I'm just like all right I don't think I can do this and but it just broke my heart because I wanted to submit to cemetery gates again and see if I could go like get, get another one in <laughs> but, collect but no, them all great. I mean I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching what did you say I'm sorry I just said I, collect them all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I, I apologize for blurting this out, but um, that book, Haunting of the Paranormal Romance, yeah. by Christoph Paul and Mandy DeSandra. Um, Mandy DeSandra is Christoph Paul. Oh. And vice versa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yep. He is uh, Lisa, Lisa Cantoral's husband now. 
I think okay. they're married now. Yeah. Yeah. But Wow, that's I okay, I've heard of pen names. I'm not sure I understand why there's a multi use there, but I'm well, sure this is gonna be interesting. There's gonna be all kinds of strange sex in it if he's got Mandy right. Sandra's name on it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no bad sex. Strange sex. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm gonna have to wrap this up here pretty quickly, so I can uh, go turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want to tell us about? Anything you're working on or excited about or? stuff you've been reading um well yeah i mean i have been reading some good books I, I i'm reading ring shout right now and i would definitely recommend that um i also just finished uh the southern book club's guide to hunting vampires um is that the full title i think yep. so yeah think so, Brady yeah. hendrix yeah the, and, um and that one was entertaining it was a lot of fun um yeah, I'm just kind of getting ready to read, uh, you know, hunkering down for winter. Um, but I am also going to try and do some writing, especially once um, I'm off work for the year. Um, I, I, I were, we're working through like Wednesday and then we're off through New Year. So in theory, that would be a lot of great time to write. In practice, I might be like, well, but it's vacation time. So, you know, I shouldn't be working. <laughs> yeah, that includes yeah. writing. <laughs> Fuck writing. Let's get hammered. what'd you say i'm sorry sorry i said i said fuck writing let's get hammered yeah like you know you could be like hemingway (laughs) 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 um no no like i i I, um i actually don't write on weekends because of that mentality (laughs) i really applaud your ability to know how to relax that is genuinely i think that is kind of a lost art for some of us (laughs) and i mean that's you know that seriously like that that is really really good because i feel like it probably keeps it from becoming a chore you know it keeps it from becoming repetitive or just sucking up your whole life it does especially when i'm not really feeling inspired to write like there are times when you know if i'm working on a deadline like when i was writing the clockmaker for uh graveyard smash even if I didn't feel like writing, I would make myself open the document and just write a paragraph, you know, like to be like, okay, just get something done. But it is helpful when I'm not on a strict deadline to be able to just let the idea marinate and like write something like, um, especially if I find myself like writing into a corner, like with the, I'm working on the title story for someone to share my nightmares. And it's one of those like, I don't want to say agonizing experiences, but like one level below agonizing where in my opinion, I've written a very great beginning and now I don't know where to go. <laughs> so I'm just like, and where am I going with this? <laughs> you know? So maybe, you know, I'll figure it out. But as such, in the middle of trying to figure that out, I've also like figured out a way to expand on another story that I wanted to include in the collection. Um, it's called You Promised Me Forever. And while I don't normally write about, you know, supernatural creatures, this was an idea I had for a story where it's it's the story where you have the man who turned his 
woman lover into a vampire but now it's like the post honeymoon period where they're getting bored with each other (laughs) and so and so i wanted to like write you know but uh, like with with seeing things and the like the you know she sees the dead and i don't want to talk to her once i get past that like hook it's like how do you make a story from that and now i think i have something so i might just try and write that uh and then go back to someone to share my nightmares so nice that's really good. Well, I'm excited about that collection. I just love the title too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I am uber, uber, uber excited to read everything else of yours. Um, seeing things is is my uh, first Sonora Taylor experience, but it just made me know that I want to have all the experiences. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. I say first I've read I've read a few of your short stories in other publications, but I haven't read your collections yet. But, I so, just nodded even though you can't see me. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> or, or or talking to my muted microphone. <laughs> It's like me in the Zoom meetings. I still will occasionally do that when I forgot that I muted myself. So I'll start talking and my manager will be like, Sonora, you're on mute. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was last week. um, I accidentally muted my audio but left my mic open. So everybody got to hear me tell my wife, I love you. Uh, <laughs> I, put, I pop the headphones back on and Laurel says, we love you too. It's like. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> that actually, I have a story about that. So um, I, I, when I first came up to DC for graduate school, I was living in an apartment um, with another girl in the program. We're still friends to this day. And her boyfriend at the time, now they're married, he was studying abroad in London. So they would Skype like every day. And uh, all three of us were also connected on Gchat. So at one point, like she was talking to him and she's just like, I love you. And so I jokingly wrote to him in Gchat, I love you. <laughs> like, But then he wrote to Jill, like, um, Sonora just told me she loves me. <laughs> she was messing with you because of the Skype call. <laughs> That's one of those instances where I have to remember that stuff that sounds funny and sarcastic in my mind doesn't always come across that way when I type it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's I why I'm always pretty careful on Twitter. Like, if I'm really unsure, I'll put a winky face. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm uh, pretty notorious for speaking and then thinking. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like my my mouth translate the translates the thought before it's even been thunk. so i've grown used to offending people and i just don't bother trying not to anymore fuck them which is why rich is our registered nice guy right (laughs) (laughs) um really appreciate you coming and talking to us sonora and i really hope that we get to talk to you again super super soon because you're a blast 
Oh, yeah, that was a well, lot thank you. I was hoping I didn't like, you know, get on the the podcast like uh, blackball list for spending like 40 minutes talking about Nintendo. <laughs> no. Some of the shit we talk about. I talked to Caitlin Starling about weed for like a half an hour one time. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's no, what makes no, it fun. I had a blast too. No, it's great talking to you guys. And yeah, whenever uh, you want to chat again, just let me know. You know, I'm I'm always happy to come talk. Excellent. You want to come? Yeah. You want to come guest host sometime? Sure. Excellent. Awesome. We'll we'll uh, put you on the list. Yeah. Well, and for anyone who hasn't, go pick up seeing things. Um, and go pick up uh, Sonora's collections and and uh, without condition and. It's definitely, definitely enjoyable reads. Yep. She's the real deal, people. <laughs> thank you. Yep. Thank you, Sonora. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Have an awesome night. Yes. All right. Thanks. Yep. You too. Thanks. Have a good night, Sonora. You too. Peace. Good night. Bye. Bye.